Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Kogi Chronicles podcast. On today's episode, we'll be mixing things up a little bit because I, in fact, did not host this episode of the show. Uh, instead, what you will be listening to today is a podcast I hopped on with my buddies Alex Weiner and Ethan Jordan, uh, with Alex as the host, and we talked about the Baseball Hall of Fame before the final tal- before the final tallies for the Hall of Fame are announced on Tuesday. Uh, Alex was a beat writer with the for the for the Kansas City Royals and now covers the Arizona Cardinals for Sports Illustrated while Ethan is currently the sports director at Blaze Radio. So on this podcast, we gave out our Hall of Fame ballots, answered some t- trivia questions based on the Hall of Fame, and overall, we just really broke it down, and uh, I hope you all enjoy uh, listening to this podcast. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ethan and Alex. Welcome into Hall or Nothing, as we are back after a bit of a hiatus, but the Baseball Hall of Fame. The ballots are coming in. The voting ends this week. We will know who the new Hall of Famers, or if there are any new Hall of Famers, are in just a couple of days. That will be on Tuesday, January 26th. So it's perfect time for us to give you our ballots. My name is Alex Weiner, joined as always by Koki Riley and Ethan Jordan. Guys, how are you guys doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Um, ready to break down these ballots. Excited for the most exciting ballot of uh, in baseball history? It, it's pretty exciting for me. I mean, I can't wait to watch my guy, Latroy Hawkins, ushered into Cooperstown. <laughs> it's overdue. I know it's his first year on the ballot, but it is, it's long overdue. Um, but so anyways, how we'll start is essentially by going over who's on the ballot and where the current ballots stand right now. Uh, as of right now, there are 154 public ballots known, and Ryan Thibodeau has uh, put together a really organized, as he always does, uh, sort of chart as to where everything stands. So the Hall of Famers on this year's ballots are as follows. On their ninth season, it's Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds, uh, and Sammy Sosa. On their eighth ballot, it's Jeff Kent. Seventh ballot is Gary Sheffield. Billy Wagner's on his sixth, Manny Ramirez on five, Omar Vizquel, Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones on four, Todd Helton and Andy Pettit on three, Bobby Abreu is on his second, and then a slew of first-timers, uh, many of which will not stay on the ballot, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, Torrey Hunter, Dan Heron, Barry Zito, Aramis Ramirez, Shane Victorino, A.J. Burnett, Nick Swisher, Latroy Hawkins, and Michael Kadire. As the ballots stand right now, and again, this is 41.2% of uh, ballots are currently known. We still have a few more days, and a lot of these ballots are going to not be released publicly for whatever reason. I guess people are embarrassed by their picks. Uh, but as it stands, uh, so far, Roger Clemens has 71.8% uh, of the vote. Barry Bonds has 724 and uh, Roger Clemens is 71.8. Those are the three top guys. Uh, and then you go down the line. Todd Helton has 53.4% of the ballot. And then uh, Scott Rowland has 65%. And those are the guys who are really the only shot. Well, Todd Helton doesn't have a great shot at getting uh, into the Hall of Fame this year. But those are the guys who are the closest to it. So uh, any surprises there, guys? 
Well, the thing that surprises me are these people that are too embarrassed to share their ballots. When there's people putting out ballots with just Jeff Kent checked on there, like you have nothing to be embarrassed about. It doesn't get a lot worse. Unless you're, you're a big Barry Zito person and only have that. I don't know. I don't know what you have to be embarrassed about, frankly. I mean, I don't have much to add to that. Um, yeah, why wouldn't you show your ballot, right? Is it a, shouldn't you be, like, proud of the fact that you're a Hall of Fame voter in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Got yeah, you think so. Right? You'd think there'd be a lot more flexing going on, but not the case. Now, about what we're seeing on the ballot, if the voting ended right now, nobody would be a Hall of Famer from this class. Is that sort of surprising to you guys or based on just how controversial this ballot has been seems to be par for the course? Um, for me, it's not surprising at all. Uh, once you start um, digging into the names and um, how far they've had to come, at least for some of them, in terms of where they started as, at a percentage in the, toward their beginning year, it's like the guys like Scott Rowland and um, – or Todd Helton, who at the beginning of the ballot was no, getting nowhere near 50%, now have slowly worked their way up at, uh, the further, the more years in which they've been on the ballot. Um, and then the, the two, and then names like, and then there's also names like Barry Bonds and Manny Ramirez and Roger Clemens, who would be in the Hall of Fame already if it weren't for the whole uh, steroid stigma. Um, and Kurt Schilling, he's, he's his own thing but uh we'll talk about him later of course but like it's not surprising that no i don't think anyone's gonna get voted in and the reason is because there's too many too many of the um there are too many names who need who need to work even further to get to that 75 mark like like scott Rowland. um and then there's too many names who are like tainted by the whole steroid thing so it's it just just kind of what we've got this year I think it's good news for Kurt Schilling, actually, that he's this close to the 75% mark with the known ballots. I think he'll do better on the anonymous ballots than the known ones, and that's how I feel it will go. Kurt Schilling could be a Hall of Famer right now if he wasn't an asshole. So, you know, there's that to consider. Uh, If you're Kurt Schilling sitting at home, maybe don't, you know, threaten journalists that can vote you into the Hall of Fame and then be mad that you're not in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. But I, I think it's good news for him that he's this close in his chances of getting in. Yeah, this is the character clause ballot, uh, essentially. And I know Ken Rosenthal wrote a piece about how he hated this ballot because you can go down the line and most, not everybody, like obviously, but most of the guys you would even consider have a pretty tainted history in one way or another. Uh, and that was even more exemplified this year when Omar Vizquel had allegations against him for domestic abuse. Um, I never thought Omar Vizquel was even close to a Hall of Famer, but some people, apparently a lot of people did. So uh, that became a kind of a bombshell for her, his possible candidacy. Now, well, well, especially when you consider that some of the voters wanted to vote in Omar Vizquel because he was, quote, a nice guy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we'll we'll leave that at that. Um, I think it's the smartest way way to go about this. Um, but so this possibility that we get nobody on the ballot yet, we all have a handful of guys on our ballots. So I suppose let's start off with Koki and Koki, give us your ballots, and then we'll see if we agree or disagree, and then we'll sort of debate on who uh, our differences are. All righty. Um... 
I went with I voted for seven guys on my ballot. Um, just to go through the names real quick: Kurt Schilling, Scott Rowland, uh, Manny Ramirez, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, and Gary Sheffield. Um, that's a lot of names. <laughs> Uh, considering that I, I don't think any of them are going to be in, inducted this year, but this is what happens when at what, what half of those guys are steroid guys and a few others are, are players that I, I think that are, that the, uh, that the, um, that the voting body is underrating. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've got at least. Ethan, any differences? I also have seven, but mine are a little bit different. I have, I have Schilling, Clemens and Bonds, Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, but I have Manny Ramirez and Andrew Jones in on my ballot as well as Todd Helton. Okay, so I guess let's start off with Todd Helton because Ethan is here and he's our residential Rockies fan. Todd Helton's case, I mean, he started off barely making it on, uh, staying on the ballot his first year, and now he's got over 50% of the vote from what we know so far. We'll see whether or not it jumps or not. And uh, here are a few Todd Helton key numbers. There are 11 players in MLB history with 2,000 games in a slash line of 310, 410, and 510 or better. And nine of them are in the Hall of Fame. The other two are Todd Helton and Manny Ramirez, who's on the ballot right now and has the whole steroids uh, taint to his name. And it, but the argument, like Koki mentioned, like, um, well, Koki mentioned that he did well early on. Similarly, in his career, his first 10 seasons, his uh, average was an uh, OPS plus of 144 and a five and a half B war, while the last six years of his career is a 104 OPS plus and a 1.1 B war. So I think there's a lot of guys on the ballot like this that started off really hot early in their careers and fell off. Andrew Jones is probably the most uh, obvious other example of, the, of that. Um, so I guess my question about Todd Helton is how do you guys view sustained success versus like a really hot start to your career? but didn't really finish that way. Well, Helton was hampered by back problems at the end of his career. And I get it. That's a lot of players get hurt and aren't the same, but he was, there was a reason for it. He just didn't stop hitting. He, he was hurt, especially the last four years of his career. And yeah. And that's the question is, are the, do those last seven years, how much they hurt him? Clearly his peak war is, is fine. It's, four points higher than an average Hall of Fame first baseman, which is a lot. But his career war versus the average Hall of Fame first baseman is about five points lower. So how do you judge the two? I think his, his peak was good enough to make up for the rest of his career. Um, that, at least that's the way I see it with, with, with Todd Helton's case, is that the peak was enough. And some of the things he did during that time, there's a few other little things that he did that really – amplify his case as well that we can get into but just to the question of career versus peak i think his peak was high enough to put him in the hole Kofi, um, yeah um i don't know i i just think that combined with his excellent defense and you put in some of these peak numbers um so i i with a lot of these players i sort of created like these like these peak years in terms of um like these five six seven year uh uh, valleys in terms of like how well these five seven year peaks in terms of like how well that they played like the the prime of their careers basically so from 2000 to 2007 helton had a 150 ops plus 442 on base percentage and 591 slugging percentage that's on average 
for those seven seasons. That's a heck of a peak to go along with his three gold gloves and the fact that he should have won the MVP in 2000. Um, to me, when I look at those numbers and considering that he played that well in what should be the prime year, career, years of his career, uh, I think that overtakes um, the, the, the latter half of his career. And in, in the latter half of his career, like he was pretty old in those days and he, in, in those years. And like you, you kind of expect for players when they're 34, 35, 36, not to not perform, not to not perform to their peak of capabilities. So I, I, I to me, I view him as Hall of Famer. I think it's pretty close the more that I look at it. Um, and I do hesitate a little bit given that I strike down on Andrew Jones for this and not Todd Helton. But I just feel like, I, I just feel like the Jaws, we can talk about this later, but we, the Jaws metrics kind of skew Jones, in my opinion, in terms of how they how much they value his defense. Defense is certainly valuable, but you need to hit to be a Hall of Famer at the end of the day if, as a positional player. And if your peak isn't high enough as a hitter, then when, then why are we even talking about you as a Hall of Famer? That's in my opinion. So, And I, and I think Helton certainly um, passed that for me. Right, and that's an interesting conversation because it's sort of like – the Omar Vizquel thing was like, he's not a Hall of Fame hitter in any way, shape, or form, but because he's one of the best defenders of all time, we're going to consider him for the Hall of Fame. And I think that's sort of the argument for Andrew Jones and why I'm closer to Andrew Jones being a Hall of Famer and not Vizquel is because Vizquel was an all-time great defender who couldn't hit a lick, while Andrew Jones was an all-time great defender who had an above-average OPS plus for his career. He hit, you know, over 400 home runs. So that's how you look at it. That's how I'm looking at sort of Andrew Jones is potential candidacy versus Todd Helton, who is a hitter who has some gold gloves. I think that's kind of a little bit of a discrepancy. And Helton is more than just a few gold gloves when it comes to defense. Mm -hmm. mm. In terms of defensive war, there's only one other Hall of Famer who's higher than him. One Hall of Fame first baseman. Mm -hmm. And that's Roger Connor who, mm. if you're thinking, yes, that Roger Connor, the, the Roger Connor who played before the 20th century. So, I mean, there will be another one, at least Alex really hopes, in 2026, hoping that Albert Pujols retires and spares the Angels And <laughs> here in 2021. Albert will be higher once he makes the Hall. But, I mean, he, he's an all-time great first-base defender, and, mm -hmm. and you can make the argument that first-base defense doesn't matter, but if you're comparing him to his peers at first base, he's an all-time defender. And I think that that means at least something to be one of the best Hall of Fame defender since the 20th century came around. But that's just a little more insight into the defensive numbers for Helton. Yeah, that's, that, and that's a good point, too. And um, another thing I look at when I look at Hall of Fame potential is um, where you stack up in your league while you are in your prime. And for Helton... I know he kind of got he got snubbed big time in the MVP. I mean, he was fifth uh, in 2000 after leading the league in basically every offensive category. I mean, except for home runs, but he still had 42 home runs. But he still finished in the top 20, or uh, and actually, yeah, in the top 19 five years in a row. And for a first baseman from the Colorado Rockies, uh, amid a team that really didn't do much during that for the era of the early 21st century. Um, I think that that's pretty good and that's pretty telling. Um, but for other cases, that's probably not a ton. And those are the only times he was really in the MVP conversation, except for a couple of votes he got in 2009. So um, 
I guess that's another argument that it could either be for him that despite the fact he was in Colorado, despite the fact that people look at cores as like a death sentence until Larry Walker got in there, that he still managed to find his way up on people's ballots and get recognition for um, some solid play. So um, I don't think I gave my ballot. Um, I have Helton um, on it, but in the last spot and sort of with a question mark, I was waiting to see your guys' arguments for him. Um, and I think that Ethan with the defense persuades me a little bit. So I think I actually will put him on that. Let me give a few more numbers to contextualize Todd Helton for you guys real quick, because Helton, I was like you actually the first two years he was on the ballot, Alex. I, even though, you know, he played for my team, I'll admit it. It's fine. I didn't know if he was a hall of famer. I really didn't. I was, "Uh." but the more I look into it, the more and more I think he is. Now there's always going to be the whole cores debate. Mm-hmm. And yes, it gave him more doubles in his career than he would have otherwise. But a bunch of the players in the Hall of Fame played at Yankee Stadium. And boy, did that help their offensive numbers as well, first of all. Two, I think playing 17 years at Coors Field is incredibly difficult for a player. Having to transition between altitude and non-altitude constantly throughout a season is hard on your body. And I think that was the case for Todd. And you alluded to it earlier, Alex, it caused a lack of exposure. No one cares about people who play for the Colorado Rockies. It's simply the case because they're in Denver and no one on the East coast cares about that. And that's just the way it was for Todd. And he happened to play his whole career there. The, so I think Coors was, is both a hindrance and a benefit for Todd Helton. But here's a couple of other numbers. Of course, you can take Coors into account for this. He topped 400 total bases twice during his career. Only one other player has done that since 1960 and that's Sammy Sosa. Okay. We talked about his 2000 season. It's one of, the, one of the best in modern history. He slashed 372, 463, and 698. And okay, well, let's look at the course context for just that season, just to kind of zoom in on the course situation. If you take only his road stats, not even adjusting his home stats, you only take his road stats, he would have ranked second, first, and sixth in those numbers that season. So even just on the road, he was one of the best hitters in baseball that year. He never got to 3,000 hits. Only two Hall of Fame first basemen did. Okay. I, that's, that's just one thing to consider as well. And he's only one of 19 hitters to have at least a 300, 400, 500 slash line with 7,000 plate appearances. That number also, I mean, 19 ever to play the game. Mm-hmm. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a borderline Hall of Famer. Don't get it twisted. He's a Hall of Famer. And he played 17 years in, in, for one team that's underrepresented in the Hall until Larry Walker got in. He's the best player in that franchise's history. That also gives him a little bit of a nudge if you're looking for a tiebreaker, per se. And this is, this is why I wanted to do Todd Helton first, because I knew we had to start off um, with a bang with Ethan hitting with all these Rockies numbers. Um, I think, yeah, first 10 years of Todd Helton's career is a no-brainer. The last six years falls off a little bit, but there's obviously an explanation for it. So I think that he did just enough to get in there. Um, another guy we, we've mentioned, and uh, I think both of you had him on your ballots, um, but if Koki didn't, then, then let me know. I, I must have misheard. Was Andrew Jones. Koki, did you have him on yours? No, I, I leave him off every yeah, year but, now. <laughs> I, knew he, I knew he didn't have it on him. He, he's a notorious Andrew Jones hater. Hater is strong. Um... 
uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm a hater. I, I just don't think he's quite a Hall of Famer for just a variety of reasons. You know, um, should I, Alex, should I just start explaining it right now? Is this the Andrew Jones conversation? You have the floor. Okay, sweet. Um, he had an OPS plus over 130 just once in his career. How can, can you make the Hall of Fame as a positional player and have an OPS plus over 130 in a season at, at any point in your career? More, only once in I, – I don't think that's possible. He only made the top 10 in the MVP ballot once compared to Helton. Helton made that, three, Helton made that um, margin three times. Um, he, he, his post, post 30 years old had a 92 OPS plus, 314 OBP, and was marred by injuries from pretty much the age of 30 on. And then his career 111 OPS plus is just not – is simply just not good enough. So, I yes, he was an awesome defender. And that's the one thing that makes this close and makes it even an argument. But offensively, he's nowhere close. And to me, that matters um, more than how great you are on defense because the defense to me is an addition. It isn't a base point for a hall of fame case um you we can uh, it, it's why we put dhs in the hall of fame for example so i for, so in my my opinion it, it jones just isn't i i wouldn't say he's not close but he, he i don't I, I don't i don't i don't sweat at night because i didn't put him on my ballot or anything like that so i don't know i, I would be worried if you were sweating at night about your non-official hall of fame ballot anyway koki <laughs> Oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, but, but that is an interesting point about like defense being an add-on um, because I somewhat disagree. I mean, we see guys like Ozzie Smith in the Hall of Fame on his first try. I think he was a first ballot. Um, I'll have to check that in, check into that. But, and he was a guy who, hitting-wise, I mean, his OPS plus career-wise was worse than Andrew Jones's, but as a shortstop, he was a wizard for a reason, and he got in for defense, but also because he was able to hit a little bit too. And his war was much better than Andrew Jones's. So um, that's another yeah, thing. There's that, yeah. So that's obviously why Ozzy Smith is a clear Hall of Famer and Andrew Jones isn't a clear Hall of Famer. But I think that Andrew Jones is certainly um, in the middle of that in like, I don't even want to say Biscal because I think he's so far away that I don't really understand the whole point. But, um, but like someone who was even like, even comparable, like a little bit comparable defensively to Viscal and was a little bit better, like a league average hitter, like a 100 OPS plus. I think Jones is like right in the middle there. So that's why I think that is a pretty decent argument. Um, but if you just look at his hitting, he's very obviously not. And I mean, just even look at his peak, his average in his age 20 to 29 season, um, the slash line was 268, 346, and 506, uh, with 34 home runs, 13 stolen bases, and a 117 OPS plus. Um, that's really good, but I would like that OPS plus to be higher for your peak years in order for you to be a hall of famer. And, um, Koki alluded also that he just wasn't seen as one of the best players in the league based on where he was in the MVP races. And that's also true. And he's on a playoff team, like for a lot of those years. And, you know, he wasn't all-star all those years and, but he just wasn't seen as like the guy. And that's important to me when you're looking at who the best players of a certain era are to put them into the hall of fame. Um, so that's why I barely don't have Jones in there. If he had like two more good seasons then maybe, but he fell off a cliff and I watched him on the Dodgers in that 2008 season. Um, they cut him like he was the big off season acquisition and he was cut before the season even ended. And that's a huge blemish on like 
a Hall of Famer's career, finishing with him hitting 158 and getting cut before the season's over. Okay. I, I hear everything you're saying, and this is what I struggled with with Andrew Jones as well. And maybe I put him on the ballot because I knew Koki wasn't going to have him on there. Maybe that was a little bit of it too, just so we could argue. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to have him on there, Alex. I really did, but it's he, close. He, he was one of my favorite players growing up, actually. I had his little like action figure too. I loved Andrew Jones, but uh, I just don't think so. I think he's close. Here is why I have Andrew Jones on my Hall of Fame ballot. We talk about defense and how much does it matter. And I agree with you, Koki, in that I think sometimes defense gets a little overrated, like hit the ball, right? Yeah. Other than a catcher, you can't overrate catcher defense. But I think there are positions, and we know this, that are more valuable defensively, and they are up the middle. Center field, shortstop, and kind of second base. Third base has a little love as well. But I think shortstop and center field, other than catcher, are your two most important defensive positions. Andrew Jones played center field. Only three up the middle players, three, top his 434 home runs. The names are Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., and Mickey Mantle. Okay. So that puts him in an interesting context home run-wise, especially for as short of a career as he had, well, as short of a productive career as he had. Those 434 home runs are pretty staggering, honestly, especially as a center fielder. That's just one little nugget that I was like, oh, wow. So only six players that have not been connected to PEDs or are eligible right now or ineligible have hit 425 home runs and not made the Hall of Fame. Obviously, the PED players, the players who are still eligible on the ballot haven't. But He's the only one of the six that haven't made it that played, again, a high-value defensive position. So you have the power. You've got the defense. Here's the thing with his defense as well. In the context of the team he played on, it was incredibly important because he was on those contending Braves teams, which were Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, and Tim Glavin as their three primary starters. They were the players who got the love on those teams. Only one of them, Smoltz, is even close to being a strikeout pitcher. So in order to be successful as one of those pitchers, you need to have a high-quality defense behind you, and Andrew Jones was the crown jewel of that Braves defense for those pitchers. So I think there his, his defense just highlights how valuable his defense was. And we talk about, okay, Jones didn't get the love on the MVP ballot. He probably should have because from 1998 to 2006, only Bonds and A-Rod were more valuable than he was based on F4. Two players, Barry Bonds and A-Rod, minus the steroids, all-timers, obviously. So he was incredibly valuable during his peak. I think his peak is just enough to sneak him into the Hall of Fame. He, by being bad for a long, for the rest of his career, he really makes this close and makes this hard. Otherwise, I don't think it is. I think if he played left field, he would have no chance. But the fact that he played center field on those contending teams. Oh, and by the way, sometimes we like to dig into postseason numbers. He was an above average hitter in the postseason, slash 273, 363, 433, 10 homers in the playoffs. Granted, he got a lot of opportunities. But another interesting note on the Braves, they were 2-8 and eight in series in which he posted an OPS below 575. So he was incredibly important 
to those Braves teams in the playoffs, and he was a good postseason hitter. I think that means something. I think that's the tiebreaker for me that just puts him over the edge is his work in the postseason with the Braves. Interesting. And, I mean, just based on his trajectory, I mean, it's, he's obviously not going to get in this year. He's not going to get in next year. He's not going to get in the year after that. But he has more than half a decade to build, that, build on it. And he got south of 20% last year. And he's up over 40% in known ballots so far this year. He's at 41.1%. So, I mean, he's got a better shot at it, I think, than I would have said Larry Walker would have had at this point in his Hall of Fame, you know, possibilities. So, um, even though he's not totally on my ballot, I definitely think that the path is clear for him of possibly getting in. But uh, And the next couple of ballots aren't very strong for the newcomers either. Next year is the A-Rod and David Ortiz ballot. But other than those two, it's there's some arguments to be made. And then the year after that isn't very strong either. So he's an interesting one. And, and a lot of the guys that are kind of in his range, um, like Billy Wagner or even Gary Sheffield, are, are interesting ones. Though Gary Sheffield has a whole other can of worms. Andrew Jones has huge veterans committee energy to me. I think yeah. he might just get in on his, like Alex, like Alex said, he might just get in on his merits because uh, if you're jumping up that much and just over the course of a year, that's a good sign for you moving forward. So, I mean, he's got a whole bunch of years left too. So I think this is an interesting ballot because I think a lot of these kind of middling guys who were very low when they first got there are going to have a really good shot in the next like two years to jump up because we don't have a, star-studded ballots coming in these next couple of years either this year is really really weak for the new guys next year is pretty weak for the new guys other than the top couple and then the year after that's pretty weak for the new guys other than i think carlos beltran and maybe one other guy i'm forgetting so i mean these next three years we could potentially in in like three years four years could see a lot of the guys that are on our ballots just get in um outright just because there's not a lot of better options and people come around on them um, and another one of those guys, potentially, uh, could be Scott Rowland, who's really, like, jumped a lot this year. He's up over 60%. Um, and so he's still got about half a decade to work with. Maybe he's in next year. Um, both of you guys have had Scott Rowland basically since the very beginning. We've talked about Scott Rowland quite a bit. Um, but just any other, you know, reasons for Scott Rowland being in the Hall of Famer other than He's an all-time great defensive third baseman and one of the best hitters of his era. And, you know, there's no real argument against it. The only arguments against him would be that he was pretty bad in the postseason. And if he gets in, and this is the same for Jones, he would have the lowest amount of total hits among position players in the hall other than catchers. So I guess those are the two arguments against. I forgot how bad he was in the playoffs. I went back and looked at it this year. He was pretty bad in the playoffs, though he was good in the World Series. Both both That's years of the Cardinals were there, so he was really uh, good in the the Cardinals Red Sox World Series, if I remember, or no, the Cardinals Tigers World Series especially. He was fantastic in, um, yeah, but he was really good in both of them. That yeah, every series before that, for some reason, he just couldn't really put it together. Um, but I guess, uh, yeah, I guess the only argument against him would be the peak. Am I? book i guess and i mean he was never really considered for an mvp award he won one silver slugger in his whole career 
Um, his peak, which I defined as not from 1998 to 2006, was a 131 OPS plus um, with five gold gloves, and he finished fourth in the MVP vote race once. So I guess he was kind of close, but it was only that one time. So I, I didn't never really had a breakout peak year or a breakout peak um, like length of time in his career. But I think if you look at the whole resume. You know the eight gold gloves, the having the fourth highest Jaws score among, amongst the rest of the field. I mean, I I, de- I definitely think he's a Hall of Famer, even despite the fact that his peak isn't ideal. And another thing too, Ethan alluded to him not having like the hits numbers that are standard of a Hall of Famer. He constantly missed games throughout seasons. I mean, he played 142 games or more just five times his entire career. I mean, he was constantly missing. 20 games, 30 games in seasons. Um, and he played 115 or fewer six times. I mean, so it's kind of David Wright-esque as far as the injuries are concerned, um, except he, his peak was better and more longer sustained than David Wright's was. But uh, he, as far as his third baseman in the Hall of Fame, he wouldn't even be like, oh, scraping the bottom. He's like pretty firm, not among the top half but he's certainly firmly in the bottom half. I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer while watching him. I was a kid like watching him, so when he was on the Cardinals, it was always Albert Pujols' team, and it was always you know, Jim Edmonds' team when, until Jim Edmonds got older um, alongside Pujols. So I never thought of Roland being that guy. But just because you're on a historically you know, talented team with two of some of the best hitters ever, um, and Roland eventually his career was, ended up being better than Edmonds, but still in that peak years they were all pretty comparable Um, it's kind of hard to lose him in the shuffle but when you look at him compared to every other third baseman in the league he was basically top three all the time so uh i that's why i've I've come around on scott Rowland being a hall of famer Um, so yeah i think you guys also helped (laughs) as far as convinced me a couple years ago too Um, no i i was the same way honestly like until he got on the ballot and I looked at the numbers, I didn't think, I was like, oh, Scott Rowland. And then I looked at the numbers, I was like, oh, Scott Rowland. It really was that case, watching him play. And even in the years after his career, before he was on the ballot, I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer. That leads to me asking you two the first trivia question. I have a handful of them and uh, I'm excited for these. And so I have one on Scott Rowland and here it is. For what team did Scott Rowland spend a year and a half playing for in between the Cardinals and the Reds? And for whom was he traded to the Reds for? Oh, boy. I don't have a clue. This is, no. no I have no idea. I have to think about this. Just what if, if I know the team, I might get the player. But I don't think I know the team. Do you, Koki? No? I don't know All the right. team. I don't have a clue. I'll give you the team and the question will still stand on who he was traded for. He played for the Toronto Blue Jays for a year and a half right before he went to the Reds um, and actually had an OPS plus of 114. He was okay on Toronto. But who was he traded for? It was a trade between the Reds and the Blue Jays just before the 2010s started. Edwin Encarnacion. Got to be right. That's correct. He was traded uh, for Edwin Encarnacion. What an what a upgrade at third base defense. Edwin Encarnacion to Scott Rowland. However, I think the Blue Jays ended up with the last laugh in that trade as uh, Edwin ended up being an all-star for a few. It also helps the fact that they had a DH to work with, with which Cincinnati did not. Uh, the all-time worst left side defense ever. 
Yeah. <laughs> they had to get him the heck off of the field. Uh, and they did. So uh, moving on to maybe someone else. We haven't talked about a pitcher yet. And so I wanted to do that. And I think we've talked about Billy Wagner before um, and him being a Hall of Famer. I just want to bring up this. Just because I don't think Trevor Hoffman is a Hall of Famer, but because he got in, my mind is like, okay, Billy Wagner has to get in because statistically he was much better than Trevor Hoffman, although he didn't pitch as long. Is that sort of a dangerous way of thinking about how to put people into the Hall of Fame because then you kind of open the floodgates a little bit? Or am I just overreacting and Billy Wagner absolutely has solidified himself as a Hall of Fame closer? Um, can I say you're right on both accounts? Because I think Billy Wagner is a Hall of Fame closer. And I also think don't opening up the floodgates is a very um, dangerous thing to start compar- comparing. Oh, so if this guy can get, if Harold Baines can get in, therefore Carlos Pena can, can get in. Like, no, we like, let's not do that, for example, right? So I, <laughs> so yeah, I think Wagner, let's just talk about Wagner then for a sec. Uh, I think Wagner definitely is a Hall of Famer. I mean, from 1997 to 2010, he had a 2.65 FIP, 189 ERA plus, an average 11 strikeouts per nine innings in an era where strikeouts weren't, um, the premium of premium stats, right? Not until recently um, did we see, have we seen consistent pitchers, whether they're relievers or not, consistently strike out more than nine guys per nine innings. Um, I mean, he made seven all-stars at a 2.31 career, right? He was, he was dynamite. Even until the last season of his career, he was really good on the Braves. So I, I, to me, he has about as good of a closer resume as you'd, as you'd want to see. Um, I mean, he's no Mario Rivera, but like for non-Mo closers, it's about as it's about as good as you uh, you'd hope for, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The knock, I guess, is just the fact that um, he's, he would be the only pitcher in the Hall of Fame with under a thousand career innings of work. Um, but I guess that's sort of a you know, it's just sort of a number, um, and he was good enough to be you know, right in there. Anyway, sixth all time in saves. Um, so I think if you look at him just purely in his position, probably being a top five pitcher ever in that spot, then I think that that's also a pretty good argument too. I think it's ridiculous that someone with under a thousand innings would be in the same hall as Cy Young, who threw 7,356 innings. It's disgusting. Keep the hall small, only <laughs> stop it. The Hall of Fame is going to have and is already starting to have a reckoning with relief pitchers and what to do with them because back in the days of Cy Young and even a long time after that, you didn't have to worry about relief pitchers making the Hall of Fame. They were just dudes who were too bad to be starters and the starters would pitch eight or nine innings and then the relief pitcher, if it was a bad game, would come in and clean it up. But now the relief pitcher is an actual position and I don't think you should hold the lack of work against a relief pitcher if that's their chosen position. That's like saying, well, this outfielder, he didn't record enough offensive or defensive putouts, or I'm sorry, defensive assists in the outfield. He didn't throw enough guys out at first base. Well, yeah, that's not his position. It's not his job. I, I, I think it's silly. I think the Hall of Fame is going to have to figure that out because if you're, I think you have to look at it at the context of your position. And he's one of the greatest ever to pitch in relief. And therefore, he should be a Hall of Famer. One fun stat, I found this, and I want to share it because I didn't even know it was a thing, and it's kind of cool. It has a cool name. 
there's a stat called goose eggs, which is a metric to measure pitchers named after goose sausage. And it's a scoreless inning. One goose egg is worth one scoreless inning in a late game, high leverage situation. It's exactly what you think. I think it's seventh, eighth and ninth, or at least maybe eighth and ninth innings, you know, within three runs, something like that. Right. And they're named goose eggs and his rate of fail to not to his rate of goose eggs to broken goose eggs, which is when you mess up in that high leverage situation is fourth all time behind Mariana Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, and of course, Goose Gossage. So those guys in the hall of fame, Billy Wagner should be too. Stop it with this relief pitcher nonsense. It's, it's a job, man. Hunters are people too. Relief pitchers are people too. All right. I think we all three have him on our ballots. So I guess moving on to um, some more hitting and for the steroid guys, obviously there's not really an argument to be made. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are hall of famers, but people have to decide whether or not they want to put steroid users in there or not. That is the debate. Not really that they're hall of famers or not. And then you go down the line a little bit. And then there are some debates about whether Gary Sheffield and Sammy Sosa and even Manny Ramirez, although I think that's a little, I think the Manny Ramirez having such low numbers is most because he was caught twice. Um, so I'm going to take him out of this equation. I think that's a no brainer. Um, I think Sammy Sosa and Sheffield are the only two you can really look at that you can try to find some sort of case for or against them. And you both had Sheffield and neither of you had Sosa. So what do you think the main difference is between those two? Um, to me, the main difference is Sheffield's length of success because they were both horrible defenders and they were both power first guys, bat first guys. And really what I'm looking at then is, okay, how good were these guys over the, the whole span of their careers, whole stretch of their careers? So with Sheffield, I looked at his numbers and he was so consistent that I pretty much put his peak at 1992 to 2005, which is a pretty long swath of time. And in that time, he averaged out at a 153 OPS plus 962 OPS and, four, and he hit 428 home runs, which is excellent. And he, and in his career, he had, uh, it was top six in the top 10 in the MVP voting six times. He had, a, he had an OPS plus over 160 six times in his career. He was a heck of a hitter, and we tend to forget that a little bit for, one, for whatever reason. And part of it has to do with the fact that he was never – he never really um, had a Sosa-esque season where he hit 60-odd home runs and was you know, bashing it up with Mark McGuire on the big stage. But it, it, part of it's also the steroids aspect of it too. So it's um, – and he's played for so many different teams. Like, there's a whole bunch of different reasons why we kind of take Sheffield for granted. But when you look at the numbers, the advanced metrics, the the, the flat met the flat numbers, like just simple home runs and OPS, he's a Hall of Famer. He, even despite the fact that he adds nothing on defense, if anything, it devalues his his value. So, I'm interested to see what Ethan thinks. You hit the head. You hit the nail right on the head with Sheffield for me, Koki. That defense, though, my God. He's, he was abysmal. I, I do want to correct one thing, Alex. I do have Manny Ramirez on my ballot, by the way. Oh, I didn't say neither you had Manny Ramirez on your ballot. I was talking about mostly ballots that were okay. uh, that have been publicly released by people whose vote counts for anything. I see. So. I, see. I, I do have Manny on there, and I do want to talk about Manny in a little bit. But as far as 
Sosa and Sheffield are concerned. Sosa is a weird one for me. Like his stats are not quite there though. If you were to say, Hey, I think Sosa's in, I don't know how much I would argue with you simply because his stats are close though, not there for me, but his historical significance to the game in that home run chase with Mark McGuire shouldn't be underrated. I mean, it brought baseball back from the dead. And I think historical significance should play a small piece in your election to the Hall of Fame. I think it's why Cal Ripken was a first ballot Hall of Famer. If he didn't break that record, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think it does play a role. It's not the only thing, and it's not even the biggest thing, but it does play a role. I am spacing on the guy's name. The guy who invented the curveball is in the Hall of Fame, even though he didn't play that long. So, I, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a, a sport that has a lot of history, and I think that history is important when considering who you put in what is basically a museum about your sport. And Sammy Sosa, for that reason, I could say, all right, his numbers are close enough. We'll let it slide, put him in. But I don't know if it's quite enough. enough. Gary Sheffield's cumulative stats are awesome. His hitting is definitely there. Like, if we just based it off of hitting, he's in. It's just that defense was so bad that it pulls down all his war numbers. I think he just gets in without the steroids. So if Bonds and Clemens get in, get in. Uh, Sheffield should as well yeah it's interesting too that like you know Sheffield bounced around for so many teams but so many National League teams ended up with him as their starting left fielder like it's not like he was bouncing around from the Tigers to the Twins I mean he was on the Tigers for a little bit but he wasn't like bouncing around the AL too much he was you know he was on the Marlins he was on the Brewers he was on the Padres he was on uh, the Dodgers I mean so he had to play defense and he had that kind of bringing him down a little bit as opposed to what if he was on an American league team for most of his career and was a designated hitter. Do we look at it differently um, than how we look at it now? I don't think it changes his voting too much because I think the steroid thing is mostly what's holding him back. Um, and he's running out of time a little bit. I mean, this is his seventh year on the ballot and he's not quite there. Um, like he's not really at rolling level. Oh, next year could be the year. Uh, so he might have to take it all the way to that 10th year. And if Bonds and Clemens don't get in, I'm not sure how he does. And yeah. it's so, oh, sorry. Yeah, I don't see him getting in because the steroids part of it, and it's not nothing to do with everything. I it's not the, nothing to do with people disagreeing, but about like what Ethan and I just said in terms of how good he's been as a hitter throughout his career. It's really just the steroids part, and the same goes with Manny as well. Uh, yeah, and I'll again bring this up: if for if Sheffield does not get in, and ultimately Bonds or Clemens gets gets in, they need to go back and revisit and put Sheffield in. Same with Mark McGuire. I say it every year, but if you're going to put one steroid person in, you got to put the rest of them in. They should all be in. If you want to asterisk it, that's cool, but they they all need to be in. Don't leave them out because they didn't get the love in their time on the Hall of Fame ballot because they were on it earlier. That would be silly. If one gets in, all of them got to go, and Sheffield should be one of them. And so should Manning, if we want to talk about your guy, Koki, in here. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about Manny Ramirez. Just a couple of digits beforehand, there have been six hitters in MLB history with 2,000 games and had a slash line of 310, 410, 575. Manny is one, uh, and the other five are Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig, Rogers Hornsby, and Jimmy Fox. I mean, that's it's not even close, really, as a hitter. Say what you will about his defense. We obviously mentioned Jerry Sheffield being a bad defender, Manny Ramirez also being a bad defender, but... It's if you were one of the probably the best 20 hitters ever um, or 25 hitters ever, 
His adjusted OPS plus is 25th all time, tied with Frank Robinson. If you're a top 25 hitter in a game that's lasted since the 1800s, you're a Hall of Famer. It's not close. Um, I'm going to defend Manny's defense here for a second. He had his moments. Um, he had his really poor moments as well. But like when he tried, he made some good plays. That's all I got to say. I know Fenway Park's pretty easy to play left field in, but uh, didn't he make a catch at the wall and not not at Fenway, obviously, um, on a road game and high five to the fan? Yeah, in Baltimore. In. Yep, that yep, was beautiful. I remember that. Yep, it was 2007, I believe. He catches the ball, high fives the fan. And <laughs> jumps back into the field of play and then like throws at a guy. It was great. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Manny's easily a Hall of Famer from '95 to 2009. That's what 14 seasons. He had 527 home runs, had a 157 OPS plus, 316, 415, 595 splits. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, top 10 in the MVP voting nine times. Like, it, it's kind of obvious. Like, yeah, I don't know how long we should be talking about this guy. He's obviously a Hall of Famer. I think that's I have, really good. I have three more notes, three notes on Manny Ramirez quickly. One, if he does get in the hall, like on, there's going to be a hall of fame video of all the Manny being Manny things like mm-hmm. him randomly cutting off that, that throw that one time, him climbing inside the green monster, the, the play we just talked about, which by the way, he ended up doubling off a guy after he gave the fan a high five. Mm-hmm. So that, that's impressive. But the one thing that goes against Manny here, especially in the steroids conversation is, Bonds, Clemens, McGuire, all those guys were never actually suspended from the league for doing steroids. Manny Ramirez is the only legit candidate on the ballot so far that was actually suspended. So I don't know if that changes your view of him at all. And then just to add to his case, he was the 2004 World Series MVP. He broke the curse. There's your historical significance for Manny Ramirez. He's he's a Hall of Famer. It's not close. Absolutely. Um, Not even remotely close that brings us to another trivia question though really quick oh um i actually wanted to ask this after the gary sheffield talk because here it is gary sheffield played for seemingly every team in the bigs but for what team did he hit the most home runs for any guesses Mm. This is great podcasting right now. Just a whole bunch of silence. A whole bunch of silence while you two think about it. Um, (laughs) It's 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 thinking. You can just hear the brains humming, the gears turning. Mm. Um, I'll give you some hints. It's not the Mets. It's not the Tigers. It's not the Yankees, and it's not the Padres. That's okay. Um, I forgot he played for the Padres. Wow. Yeah, Bruce. I have. That's my guess. It is not the Brewers. Okay. Um, the Marlins. He played the most games of his career for the Marlins, but he actually didn't hit the most home runs of his career for the Marlins. I should have figured that it wouldn't be the team he played the most games for. That was, yeah, that would be too yeah. easy. Based on you asking this question, Alex, I'm going to say the Dodgers then. It is the Dodgers. Um, he hit 129 home runs for the Dodgers and 122 for the Marlins. Wow. He basically had like 120 home runs here, 120 home runs here, 80 home runs here. It just because he played everywhere. He played for the Dodgers like significantly less than the Marlins, though, like a few seasons less, right? Uh, I believe so. Hold on, let me get that. Uh, Alex has muted himself while he's. Well, I was uh, I was clicking. 
Okay. So just, okay. Yes. Uh, anyway, so he played six years for the Marlins uh, in a 558 games. He played four years for the Dodgers, but 526 games. So it actually wasn't that big of a difference. Uh, just, he must have been hurt on the Marlins. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the Brewers were his next biggest. Uh, he played 294 games for them, and he hit uh, only 21 home runs for the Brewers, oddly enough. The next most was the Yankees at 76. Um, so that's a little bizarre. But anyway, we have him in the, as a Hall of Famer regardless. Uh, moving does, on. What was does that? he go in as a Marlin? If he, if he theoretically got in, does he go in as a Marlin? What does Gary Sheffield do? I, my guess is he'll go in as nothing simply because he doesn't really have a team. Although maybe the Marlins because he won the World Series there. So that would probably make the most sense. But uh, I, don't, I have no idea, really. He, who knows? He could pick the Braves for all we know. <laughs> um, I guess moving on to uh, Jeff Kent, as just really quickly. Uh, obviously, we have had discussions sort of about you know, players among their position and then how sort of offense relates to defense. Kent is like the ultimate of that because he has the most home runs as a second baseman. One of the most RBI, one of the biggest RBI getters of all time, but potentially the worst second baseman ever to be on a Hall of Fame ballot. And so, where do you guys stand as far as balancing that out? Um, he wasn't the best hitter ever for a second baseman, but he had the most power. And so, how do you guys weigh that? Also, metrically, war-wise, he isn't really among the top second baseman of all time. Um, for me, I thought about this because of that home run lead he has in the second base department, but I mean, the one MVP he won wasn't deserved. He didn't add much defensive value. He had just three seasons with more than 30 home runs. If we're talking about how valuable his power was, right. Um, 123 career OPS plus is pretty good, but to me, uh, that's not hall of fame worthy and, and, and look at this in this one stretch of his career wasn't very impressive impressive either 1992 1997 had a 106 ops plus 324 obp and he played for four different teams during this time he was a late um, bloomer yeah. yeah this is before he and this is during the years of his career where he should be productive um it, although it was before his mvp season but it was years where he should be very good and he was just a slightly above average player if not an average player um so yeah i don't see how He's a Hall of Famer, except with the one argument being that he's the all-time second base home run leader, which is great and all, but you got to have more than that to back up your case. Yeah, we talked about historical significance. That one's not historically significant enough. Sorry, sorry, Jeff. Um, but he, he, yeah, the, the defense really hurt him. He was ahead of his time being more of an uh, offensive-minded second baseman. Now we see that all over the league, but – and at his time, the second baseman was, you know, one of your better defenders, like your shortstop light, if you will. But he was a different mold, and his defense was so bad. It makes it so his, his war and his, even his peak war aren't even close to the average Hall of Fame second baseman, even if maybe the offensive numbers for that peak might have been. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's just not quite there. He, he's a lovely member for the Hall of Very Good, mm-hmm. but not quite the Hall of Fame. First ballot Hall of Very Good. Him and Absolutely. Andrew Jones for me are like 1A and, and, and like 2A in terms of uh, Hall of Very Good. So, Yeah, I tend to agree about Jeff Kent. Um, 
it's 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 funny too because we look at second baseman as you know just as a scope he's like oh he had so much power for a second baseman but he was also one of the worst defensive second basemen in the league whenever he was at second base so it's like how much do we really put like oh he was so good for his position but he was horrible at his position so um i always look at that and and you look at sort of jaw scores and war he's pretty more comparable to i think someone wrote he's more comparable to ian kinsler than he is to craig biggio um so i, I saw that and i was just like i mean and you look at it yeah so um tough one there but jeff kent is definitely uh the hall of very good guy we haven't talked about kurt schilling much um I mean, I mean, Ethan alluded to it earlier on. I don't think there's a lot of conversation we can really have about Kurt Schilling. That's not just the character clause, and that's just simply the conversation. Um, is there any argument that he's not a Hall of Fame pitcher? Because I can't find any. But uh, it, I don't want to put him in because of certain other reasons. I have two wonderful old head arguments to keep Kurt Schilling out of the Hall of Fame if that's what they really want to do. He never won a Cy Young Award, and he has less than 300 wins. That's it. That's all I got. The guy, who was, against. the guy who was teammates with Randy Johnson for, like, the peak years of his career didn't win the Cy Young, so he shouldn't make the Hall of Fame. That's good. I, I'll, I might use that one simply as, <laughs> just, just for my argument against Kurt Schilling. I mean, he's the, I mean, he only made six All-Star teams. It's not a ton. Like, that is not a ton. Like if he's if like easy Hall of Famer, like easy Hall of Famer should probably make a couple more All Star teams. I'm just saying, I don't know. And if you like didn't have a lot of seasons where he had like a sub three ERA, his career ERA is three point four six, which is very good. It isn't spectacular. Three point three two FIP, which is actually quite good, but it isn't mind blowing either. So I don't know. He's not like a total sand slam. I have to think about it a little bit, but like the moment you see the uh, playoff ERA um, to go along with like the very good to excellent like career stats. It's, it's easy for me. Um, 2.23 career playoff, career playoff ERA, which is tremendous. Just plus, absolutely tremendous. Plus and, he had seven world series starts for an ERA of 2.03 and three world series rings. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, like, he wasn't dropping this 2.23 ERA in, like, a handful of postseason innings. He pitched 133 postseason innings in his career and was that good for all of them. Man, you really had to do it to yourself, didn't you, Kurt? You could have just shut up. You could have just not said that much, you know, stepped away from Sunday Night Baseball when you got in trouble that one time and kind of went off on your own and maybe, you know, I don't know, did your thing, but nope. Nope. Then you had to threaten journalists, say mean things about journalists. Not a good move, Kurt. Not a good move. Just yes. strategically not a great idea when they're the ones who decide whether you make the Hall of Fame. Just, oh well. He's only behind uh, Bonds and Clemens in terms of Jaws scores, by the way, out of the whole field, yeah. which is really interesting to me. So his, yeah, his career all time. Yeah, his career war also is most of anybody. Um, who's not currently in the Hall of Fame, who is eligible to be in the Hall of Fame, except for Pete Rose and anybody who was, you know, considered to be a steroid guy. So that's another one. He also has the highest strikeout to walk ratio of all time. Of I don't know what the inning number you have to get to for that is, but he has the highest. Yeah. 
but the dude was unbelievable. Yeah. He's a clear Hall of Famer, but, uh, well, you know, <laughs> could be fun to, you know, we could get a, get him a make America great again hat for his, you know, little Hall of Fame area at the, at the hall. Is, yeah. His, 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 on display. <laughs> what do you want on your hat, Kurt? Oh, you know what I want on my hat. They're like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I, I, I didn't think this podcast would get political, but it, it just did. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not getting political. I'm just saying like, <laughs> if you asked him what he would put on his hat, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what he ended up putting on his hat of, instead of a B or a P or an A. I think it would be M-A-G-A. There you I, go. I, I think it would be a B for Boston, by the way, just for the record, if we had to talk about this. I think he's, mm. I, yeah, he associates himself with the Red Sox the most, even though he didn't even play there for that long. It's just kind of what the narrative has kind of become because he won two titles there. And he did have the bloody sock game there too. Yeah, yeah, that too. Uh, you know, and with all we've said about Kurt Schilling so far, there's a Boston joke in there somewhere, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Before before we get too deep, let's move let's move on. <laughs> um, other than the guys that we talked about, I don't think anybody were really considering jumping up on the ballot. So I'm going to go to a different subject. There are a handful of new guys on the ballot, and if the if we cut off voting right now and only stuck with the ballots that are public, none of them would even stay on the ballot for another year. Is there anybody new who you wouldn't think would be a Hall of Famer, but should at least, for a courtesy, keep them on the ballot another year just to give them a look? I'll start with Ethan because he's making a face that seems like it's a no, but maybe he has some sort of case for somebody. I mean, if we're going to keep Omar Vizquel around, maybe Tory Hunter. He was a nice guy, right? Um yeah, I don't know, guys. I don't even know. I don't know. I don't remember what the qualifier is to make the Hall of Fame ballot because Michael Kadire is on there. So obviously it was a lot lower than I thought. Not anything against Michael Kadire. Very fun player. I really enjoyed Michael Kadire on all the three teams he was on. But then it's just very strange to see him on this list. Technically, the guy with the highest war is Mark Burley, which is why I made that face. Because was like, oh, let's look at the war. Let's see who's close. Mark Burley. Also, quick okay. correction, Mark Burley would stay on the ballot, actually. I made that mistake. He has about 8% of the vote right now. All the White Sox riders are coming together to keep Mark on the ballot. Mm, well I deserved. mean, that, that's not a bad war. Um, I mean, it's a lot higher than I would have thought for Mark Burley, 59.1. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's higher than I thought. I would give Tory Hunter the courtesy. Um, I mean, this guy was one of the best defensive center fielders of the era um, and pretty dang good hitter too uh, overall his career OPS is lower than I would have wanted it to be but uh, in career OPS plus it's 110 it's Jones-esque I, I think he's decently comparable to Andrew Jones like obviously not quite to that level but I think he's not too far off he's war wise he's over 10 away but and the other numbers, it's it's not terrible. It's not terrible. You can keep him on for another year. Give him a look. Let me give you some Mark Burley numbers here. He never even reached 2,000 strikeouts. At least Tim Hudson did that. He finished in the Cy Young voting once 
He finished fifth. He did win four gold gloves, though. So, hey, you know, Mark Burley, guys. Pitcher defense matters. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't at all. <laughs> it means nothing. Koki, who do you want to give a courtesy look to? Um, can I give a shout-out to a couple guys? Sure. Just to be like, you know, if we eliminated Barry Zito's career in San Francisco, minus the start he had against the Royals in the World Series, uh, he's a Hall of Famer, right? <laughs> you just looked at his Oakland years and um, that one giant start. I actually do have a fun fact about Barry Zito. So he won the 2002 Cy Young, but See? for the rest of his career, he never received a Cy Young vote. <laughs> and that was his third season. Wow. Wow. So, that's tremendous. That's crazy. So no, no one really, no one was really buying Barry Zito too hard at the time, apparently. Uh-huh. Tim Hudson had a really good career. He did. Yeah. Big Hall is a very good guy. Top, uh, top three guy in a rotation for over a decade, you know. He, could, he probably deserves a vote. He, he deserves a vote or two, right? Yeah, he's like a Hall of very good. He's about 4.5% right now, so he could stay on the ballot theoretically. Um, anybody love uh, Ramos Ramirez? He was Okay, I, we need to – we need to talk about Aramis Ramirez because yeah. I'm feeling real old. I saw him on the ballot. And I was like, he retired five years ago. <laughs> I didn't even realize. So I was just scrolling through. I was like, yeah, Tim Hudson. Oh, yeah, Aramis Ramirez five years ago. Man, it, it's weird. I was kind of like that with Tim Hudson because to me, he just pitched forever. And so it just always seemed like he was in the league. So I'm like, was he not like randomly on like the Royals in 17 or something like that? Oh. So that that was kinda, the one for me. I kind of feel that way about Shane Victorino. I feel like he won the Reds, <laughs> won the World Series, the Red Sox last year, and now he's on the Hall of Fame ballot. For me, it's because he was on the Angels and had like a forty OPS plus that year. That's and then retired. That was the way it was like. Okay, never mind. Shane, Shane's not in the league anymore. Uh, it's the same situation for me with Latroy Hawkins in twenty fifteen. Is like okay, time to go. It was probably time like five years ago, but now it's really time to go. All right. I have a couple other trivia questions for you guys before we get out of here. And a couple of other questions. First for trivia, can you guys tell me... So Todd Helton led the National League in B-War in 2000, but finished fifth in the MVP vote. The leader in B-War in the American League in 2000 also finished fifth in the American League MVP vote. Could you guys guess who that is? So he, the was winner was, first, he was first in war, but finished fifth in the correct. American League. Jason okay. Giambi won the league MVP that year for the Oakland A's. He was fourth that year in, in B-War. What year was this again? 2000. Todd Helton. National, uh, American League. Wow. Oh. So the highest war was also fifth in the MVP voting in the American League, which is, that's really interesting. Okay. That's called people not caring about analytics even like the slightest bit like not knowing what the word meant in 2000 like you know if you thought voters don't really care about it now i mean 21 years ago it was like your hint though is that this might be a slight different case in the american league Ooh, oh, this is fun um so there's your hint hmm. so it's got to be a it could it be a guy who's really solid defensively who that just rose his war numbers no. In a sense. Is it Derek okay. Jeter? It is not Derek no. Jeter. 
Uh, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, I just got done talking about good defensive numbers, Koki, and you said Derek Jeter. <laughs> look at how many gold gloves Derek Jeter won. Like, how could he not be a great defender? Oh, you're right. My bad. <laughs> it was Omar Vizquel. But he, no. he, jumped, he jumped that one time, Koki. He did. He did jump, you know. Added so much range to his uh, to his to his uh, to his defense, and he cut off a throw that was already headed for home plate, and then got it the rest of the way to home plate. That oh, one that's time. a bit. Oh, that's a bit harsh. That, that was a bad throw. <laughs> that's a bit harsh. You know? I've I've heard this argument before. I, I was being funny. Whoa. That was that's a that's a great play. <laughs> okay, so in a sense, defensive. I guess Derek Jeter, in a sense, Gold Gloves was a good defender. Um, so. I rescind my chiding, Koki. Good, good guess. <laughs> Same division. Okay. Division. 2000. This is the year before Ichiro. What? Oh, Koki. Was it a pitcher? Was, was Pedro that good that year? Was it a pitcher? It was Pedro Martinez. No way. I was, I was seriously asking Koki if Pedro was good that, good that way that year. I didn't have any idea. I was just like, oh, pitcher. There's a he was, pitcher there. Oh, Pedro. Pedro in 99-2000 had arguably the two best pitching seasons of all time for a starter. Like, you could make – there's a very strong argument for this. Um, mm-hmm. If he didn't so get hurt, Pedro. I think it would have been, like, unassailable. So. I think so, too. Anyway, one last trivia question I've got. Which pitcher on the Hall of Fame ballot has the most career RBIs or RSBI, <laughs> as friend of the show Andrew Vargas says? This is a stupid one. But, Tim uh, Hudson. It is Tim Hudson. Yeah, yeah. Played the longest, pulled up? Yeah. No, I, I was like, Tim Hudson, from my memory, was a pretty good hitter. And he played for a while, so I, That's that true. was the natural guess. You know? That was correct. Um, all right, just a couple of other questions for you guys, just for fun before we get out of here. Uh, if you had to watch one of these Hall of Famers on this ballot, let's eliminate Barry Bonds from this because it'd be too obvious. Watch him hit BP again, sitting in the outfield with your glove. Who would it be? Hmm. I don't have the ballot pulled up. Let me pull it up real quick. You can watch Gary Sheffield hit tanks. You can watch Todd Helton oh. hit doubles, and maybe it hops over the fence and you can catch it. You can watch Manny Ramirez hit moonshots this is easy omar vizquel (laughs) (laughs) um uh, i have a whole list of omar vizquel arguments for why he's not a hall of famer but those are too easy Um, no we're not gonna uh, let's not talk about omar vizquel because it's it's, it's funny you say that alex because on my list it literally like on my my notes it just says come on under omar vizquel (laughs) I'll, i'll do one i'll do one in 24 years he had a B war of four. Once. <laughs> <laughs> More of a Hall of Famer than Andrew Jones, though. Apparently so. I, I don't Jeez. get it. Um, That's really bad. And I don't I, even like Andrew Jones. To be honest, like, Omar Vizquel didn't even make my notes. He didn't make it. You, know, you will not see his name in my notes. He made mine for the memes. I, I refused. <laughs> So who do you guys want to watch in batting practice? Uh, me, I, I, I think it's Manny, too. Um, oh, I was going to say, to me, I, I forgot about Manny. Manny's a good one. My, I would say, obviously, it's Sammy Sosa in the prime of his career, right? That's also true. That's also true. Yeah. Because he's got the personality to put on a little bit of a show. and Manny's a good one, though. I can't argue with that. 
Maybe you could put Tory Hunter just... in center field so he can probably rob you a couple of times and you can like yell at him. That could be good. No, but like you'd be like sad and um, yeah, you'd be kind of sad once like the moment Sosa's bat breaks and then just a whole bunch of black stuff starts like falling out of the bat and like that wouldn't be good. So, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another one. Who is most likely to sort of get lost in history if they don't make the Hall of Fame but shouldn't be? Who? Like, who's somebody we should probably remember a little bit more than we do? Oh, shouldn't it be. I was going to say, the most likely to get lost in history is probably A.J. Burnett, but he, we don't, we, someone we actually don't want to get lost. Okay. So, someone, yeah, someone who we think should probably get more love than they're probably going to end up getting historically. Bobby Abreu, I suppose. You're a big Bobby guy? Well, I think he, he was a good player. He's a definite Hall of Very Good guy, I think. He, he, He's not close to the Hall of Fame, but he's mm-hmm. close to being close, if that makes sense. Like, and once he's gone out of this, he, he played for what? The, the, the Phillies? I guess he played for the Yankees at one point, so maybe he'll get a little bit remembered. But You know what, it. guys? You know what a really under-the-radar, underrated uh, career? Really solid year in, year out. Andy Pettit. Like, you know, that guy. He was, he was <laughs> like, no one ever talked for... about him ever. Oh, yeah, never. Really <laughs> When he gets, when he doesn't make the Hall of Fame, the Yankees fans or, or, or writers are just going to be like, "This is a travesty! I can't believe that this happened." Well, they're already them. mad about Jorge Posada, so that's true. That's true. Maybe they're veterans committee guys. They start putting all the Yankees in, like Jorge and and okay. Andy Pettit. Okay, Posada. There, at least there's a case for Posada. Okay, I can kind of yeah. see the case for Posada. I cannot see the case for Pettit. I don't. I don't get it, man. He's like a four the- ERA career guy. I, I really don't get it. <laughs> He's going to get in on the veterans. That checks out. That just, God. <laughs> really bad. Is he Hall of Very Good even? Like, I think, I, I guess I he think is. So. Like, he's Hall of Very Good, but he's not, a, I don't even know if he's a first ballot Hall of no, Very Good guy. He's, he's in for sure, but I don't know if he's even first ballot. No, he's definitely not for me. His career ERA was 3.85. Um, and he didn't have 300 wins, so he can't be a Hall of Famer either. <laughs> wins no. don't matter. <laughs> My God. <laughs> They don't. Who cares? I don't know. Unless you get like thirty in a season, I don't care. You know, like to, like like those all those uh like those old lefty Grove seasons and Cy Young seasons, like those are impressive to me. But if you get like tw- like twenty wins once, then I don't care at all. I ha- I do have one fun thing to do with you guys before we get out of here, and it it relates to players being forgotten for sure. Before he ultimately falls off the Hall of Fame ballot and is forgotten in history, one last time, can we do a Latroy Hawkins who we play for? We absolutely can do a Latroy Hawkins we play for. And I don't have his page pulled up at the moment, so I'm going in a little blind. I I have the page pulled up, ready to go, but all I saw was the Twins hat he's wearing in his picture, which we would have gotten anyway, so that's all I got. So we've got the Twins. Uh, We got the Rockies a couple of times. Yeah, uh, yep. Three times. Three separately. times. Didn't he play for the Blue Jays? Yeah, he ended his career there because we, we got rid of him and he went to the Blue Jays in 2015. I remember this. Yep, I remember this. He was the Angels' closer for like half a season. I remember that. Yep, Angels. I remember that. Back when they had to like switch off between Scott Downs or Nestor Frieri and Latroy Hawkins. Um. <laughs> Some things never change. 
Yeah, they, have, they got Rysel Iglesias now. Um, he was on the Mets once, wasn't he? I want to say yes. I think so. Was he? Oh, he was a brewer. I know that. Oh, I didn't he remember that one. So he could have been not a bit on the Mets. I think that's just an obligatory thing you have to say during Hall, who he played for. <laughs> on the Mets, wasn't he? But I actually think he was on the Mets. I think so. I, uh, I think, actually, I'm I don't pretty know. sure he was on the Mets. I don't remember him on the Brewers, but I think you're right. Um, oh, this is tough. Uh, I'm going to go look and see how many different teams he played for. Oh, this is going to be hard because he played for the Rockies multiple times. Um, oh, boy. How many do we have? Six? I think so. We are missing three. Three? Um... Oh, no. Um, I cheated and looked I, just to see how many. I would be very surprised if you all get these ones. Well, one maybe. He was on each of these teams each for a season. Was he on Perfect. the Reds ever? I feel like he was a Red. Never a Red. Okay. That's was okay. he on the um, – was he on the Marlins? Nope. No. Okay. Mm. What about the Orioles? I feel like he might have been an Oriole guy. I don't think he, he was an really? Oriole. What, yeah. When was this? For, in 2006. Oh. Okay. I don't remember this at all. Um, the other years – up BJ looking, Ryan. The other years you're looking for are – 2005 and 2004 and actually he, one of these teams he was on for more than a year and one less than a year he got traded from the one team you're missing to the other team you're missing in 2005 2004 and 2005 um this is a total shot in the dark but the cubs the cubs okay wow. 2004 and the beginning of 2005 and he was traded maybe he had a baseball card maybe i had like a baseball card growing up of him on the cubs and that just came to my mind um I genuinely have no idea who this last one could possibly be. He, he was traded to the San Francisco Giants where he made 41 appearances and had a 410 ERA out of the bullpen. All right, so, there you go. There you go. LaTroy Hawkins, everybody. I forgot That's to right. mention my uh, Lost in History guy because I used it on Andy Pettit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to give a shout-out to Dan Heron. Uh, mm. Dan Heron was really good, had a really good career. You know, he won a Cy Young, I believe, right? I don't have his, I don't have any numbers on him uh, I, up right now. I don't recall Dan Heron winning the Cy Young. He didn't win no seven. No, no, no. Beckett won a no seven. Never mind. Um, wait, did Beckett win a no seven, or was it Dan Heron? I'm forgetting which. I, think, I don't think sure. Heron won. Well, I, th I think one of the two won the Cy Young. I forgot which, or was it someone? I don't know. It might have been Zito. I don't. No, it wasn't Zito. Zito was 2002. So it was one of those two won the Cy Young in 2007. Oh uh, yeah. Dan Heron, the closest he came was fifth, and that was in 2009 for the Diamondbacks. Okay, never mind then. Yeah, so. he had a really good career, though. He was a top two, three guy in a rotation for a long time, you know? Why is Dan Heron not in the Diamondbacks legend race then? <laughs> because they have to put uh, Matt Williams in there and Mark Grace. Mark Grace, yeah. Both guys who are on the team for very long. Both known Diamondbacks. If you look at Mark Grace, it's like, what team is he known for? It's like, always, you have to pick the Diamondbacks. Same thing with Matt Williams. Is Matt Williams even – I don't think Matt Williams is in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, I don't think he got – I don't believe Matt Williams He wasn't even that close from my memory, right? Yeah, so. Grace right, is no. in the Hall of Fame, right? Mark Grace? I don't think so. I don't think so. Really? I just, no. looked, I just looked up Matt Williams for you all. He had an OPS plus of 113 throughout his career, just uh, – yeah, it's not quite there. No, that's, nope. that's not good. Especially at third it's base. It's still higher yeah. than Andrew Jones' uh, 111, though. 
I will say that. <laughs> uh, beloved Diamondback Mark Grace, who played the last three years of his career there. Uh, oh, that's those. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder. I wonder if like once Justin Upton retires, like he might slide into there. Or if they use they'll use Brandon Webb eventually. And if you're if you're at home, you're not familiar with Mark Grace, and you're thinking, well, okay, three years, maybe he had some great seasons there. He played 13 years for the Cubs. 13. Come on. But he is not a Hall of Famer. He also has a similar OPS to, to Matt at 119 as a first baseman. So, uh, no. Pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. Diamondbacks legend. Uh, right. Blue Jays legend, Mark Grace. He was a Blue Jay? He was. I'm I don't think sure, he was. Right? Or, no, am I, he was... or am I mixing up names again? <laughs> no, only a Cub and a Diamondback. Oh, never mind but, then. I'll take that back. The D-backs have that. He, it's only one of two teams he ever played on. There you go. Oh, boy. He, he, was, he was pretty bad. He was a below-average hitter on the D-backs when he was there, too. So, <laughs> uh, Diamondbacks, if you're listening to this, just make it Brandon Webb or, I don't know, someone who's known as a Diamondback. Uh, maybe, maybe Justin Upton when he retires. Who knows? But uh, I, think, uh, I think that'll do it for us, unless you guys have any lasting notes or anything to plug. Shouts to Nick Swisher. You know, we did not mention Nick Swisher today. Big shouts. He deserves a mention. Um, he he is the Garland guy. <laughs> yeah. He is the only guy on the ballot I know of. Maybe I'd have to look at it again. Who guest starred on How I Met Your Mother? And that's that's what I <laughs> that's what I know Nick Swisher. I just want that out there. That's Hall of Fame worthy, right there. Mm -hmm. That 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 alone. <laughs> I, I I think that's the perfect place to end this. All right, I think that's good. So. January 26th, we'll know who the Hall of Famers are or who they aren't if nobody gets in. But, oh, we have one more. One, one more note. Uh, the only one who seems to be close is Kurt Schilling. So we could get a solo induction of Kurt Schilling and allowing him time to speak at the, the Hall of Fame by himself. But don't worry. The Veterans Committee is going to put in three guys who we don't think are even close to Hall of Famers, and we'll be able to just sit there disappointingly while oh, it's Kurt Schilling and three guys who had OPS pluses of 115 sitting in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> All right, with that note, I think we'll get out of here. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hall or Nothing. Again, the Hall of Fame vote is basically here. It's this week, so keep an eye out for that. And once again, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Koki Chronicles podcast. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and spread the word about the show. Until next time, thanks for listening.